0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Today, I will be seeing many of you in Dallas-Fort Worth just in a couple of weeks from now. And if hopefully, if you have a chance, you'll join us. Go to wealthformulaevents.com and check it out. But it's going to be a cool event. It's going to be Not only the usual type of personal finance stuff, but we're going to do some longevity talks in the afternoon, do a panel, a little discussion. Having a bunch of those, those of you who are physicians and stuff in the group is going to be really great being able to share some information. So hopefully, again, you can make it wealthformulaevents.com. As far as the show today goes, we're going to talk about, well, you guessed it, right? Inflation, because that's that's what's going on in the world of macroeconomics right now. And you've probably heard, we've got some problems globally in the United States with inflation and central banks are basically trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. But here's the question I have for you is, why inflation now, right? Like, you know, we've had Richard Duncan on there and all that with lots of different kinds of ideas, but you know, didn't we print billions of dollars over the last 15 years or so? Why didn't we have inflation then? right like why now well this is an interesting thing cuz we actually kind of did have inflation during that time we've had uh, historically low interest rates and quantitative easing since 2008 so that has been something that you would expect for there to, to to result in inflation right that's the money printing however that kind of money printing does not does not really benefit the common man Low interest rates don't make bananas cost more, but they do make stocks, real estate, and other assets soar in price, right? Aha! So there, that's where it went. That's where all the money went. It's inflation but on your investments. Well, let's not pretend we as investors did not benefit from this asset class inflation. Of course we did, and and, and of course the banks and institutional money benefited even more. But again, the common man did not benefit from the usual money printing methodology. And arguably, I would say that they weren't hurt much either. We are living in some pretty good times there. But they are getting hurt now because inflation has drifted, off from the markets, the asset markets, into the price of food and energy, the CPI. Certainly, there are a number of reasons for this, but there is one precipitating factor that I I just got to believe really began that process of shifting inflation to mainstream. Before the pandemic, as we suggested earlier, none of the efforts by the Fed or fiscal policy put money directly into the hands of people who spent it. Of course, that all changed when COVID happened, and we know what happened, right? We got money in the mail, and that uh, would Ben Bernanke had called parachute money at one point. Now, don't get me wrong. I I know we needed to do that. I'm not vilifying that we, you know, anyone for doing that. People had to put food on the table, but I do believe this is where it all started. The shift of inflation to the consumer began, Then you layer on a bunch of supply chain issues resulting in high demand, low supply, everyday stuff. And of course, you're going to have high inflation on Main Street. And that is, I believe, what we have. And now the Fed is raising interest rates with a vengeance to try to snuff it out. Kind of funny, right? Like inflation on the investment side and the asset class side didn't seem to worry about too much. But came on the Main Street side and, well... You know, it's a totally different ballgame, right? I mean, now you're hurting people, not just helping rich people. Anyway, well, so will the interest rates actually help raising these interest rates? I don't know. I am just a little suspicious of whether or not it's going to help a lot, at least in the, in the next year or so. And here's why. Okay. So yeah, if you raise rates high enough, maybe you get high unemployment, you're in a recession, that uh, that'll that'll you know ultimately you know change some things around but right now we have really high wages very low unemployment and continued supply issues even though they're getting better so raising rates doesn't seem like it would necessarily help with those problems right and we're talking about rising rate, uh, rising prices of of things because of demand issues Anyway, I'm no expert on interest rates and inflation, but my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast today is, uh, he's written a book on this topic and he's a very smart financial author and we'll have a great conversation with him when we come back from these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Edward Chancellor. Edward is a financial historian, journalist, investment strategist, and he's also a columnist for Reuters, Breaking Views, and uh, an occasional contributor to the Wall Street Journal, Money Week, and New York Review Books and Financial Times. He has authored multiple books, and the latest one, and what we'll be speaking about today, is called The Price of Time. The Real Story of Interest. Uh, welcome to the show, Edward.
1: I'm um, pleased to be with you.
0: So, you know, this. obviously this uh, title and this t- concept is on everybody's mind. But since you're talking about sort of the real story behind this all, take us back to the beginning of the mess that we're currently in, <laughs> as far as you <laughs> wish, <laughs> historically. <laughs> so, and let us know how this all started
1: yeah well it's, it's it's difficult to say where it's all started um i i would you know we interest rates peaked in the early nineteen eighties and then they came down sharply as inflation fell away and probably the rot set in when the central banks the federal reserve started to realize it could use monetary policy to support the financial markets in times of difficulty. And the first time we saw that was uh, when Alan Greenspan, newly installed as a Fed chairman in 1987, used the Federal Reserve's capacity to supply liquidity to markets to, to to support the markets during the 87 stock market crash. Now, that crash was a relatively short-lived event and the Fed's intervention was seen as, I suppose, a good thing. But the trouble is that when central banks intervene to support markets, they start changing people's risk preferences, amount of risks they're prepared to take because if you think the Fed has got your back when you buy a stock, you're gonna pay a bit more for it. And we saw that we go forward from 87 to uh, 98. If you remember in the late summer of of, of 1998, a a hedge fund, very large over-leveraged hedge fund called long-term capital management, with um with really um bets of roughly 200 billion dollars on capital of I can't quite remember but let's say around 5 billion dollars so massively leveraged hedge fund that was toppling over and at that moment the fed once again intervened cut interest rates and uh the, the this the it, if you think back to the late 1990s this was the sort of early period of the internet and there was a bit of froth uh to put it mildly in the US stock markets at the time uh, but after the fed's intervention the uh, nasdaq index of of technology stocks took off and we got this great um this great dot com bubble that, that many of your listeners will still remember because probably those who were old enough lost money in it. So then the dot-com bubble, and the dot-com bubble was interesting um, from a historical perspective because in valuation terms, it was by far the greatest stock market bubble that the U.S. had ever seen. So then in the end, you know, the in the late 1990s, the Fed sort of jacked up interest rates when inflation was uh, appeared to be returning, and the dot com bubble burst as as you know as it might have been expected to burst. So the next stage is the Federal Reserve then starts to worry. Hey, the market's are collapsing. Perhaps you know we're going to have deflation. There's no evidence of deflation at the time, uh, so they cut interest rates. They cut the Fed funds rate back to one percent. In 2002, which was the lowest at the time, the lowest level since the Second World War, and this didn't immediately revive the busted dot coms and tech companies. But you know, you with your real estate background knows what happened next: is that you could borrow uh, cheaply uh, against real estate and earn a decent turn and combined with the fact that mortgages were being, at the time, uh, securitized, you know, um, risky mortgages were bundled together and cut into different tranches and sort of increased the supply of mortgage credit, but fueled by these uh, very low interest rates, the great U.S. real estate bubble took off. Now, that bubble peaked in... uh, so, two thousand five, two thousand six, and it took a you know a couple of years for the um, for the you know for the for the aftermath of that burst bubble to to really show how serious it was, namely with the collapse of Lehman Brothers in September two thousand and eight. Now, so what did the Federal Reserve do then? Well, of course, they take interest rates down to zero, but that's not quite enough. So they actually then start expanding their balance sheet, buying assets to bring, uh, buying mortgage securities and and government bonds to bring long-term interest rates down and supply liquidity to the markets, but not just to supply liquidity to the markets. They also deliberately wish to push up the value of financial assets and encourage people to take more risk and they act in the belief that if people's financial assets have increased and their wealth increased, they'll start spending again. So now we're in you know the period of the last decade. And as you remember, throughout that decade there were constant expectations that interest rates would rise and the central banks would stop printing money. But that never really happened. The Fed, uh, Ben Bernanke was the chairman of the Fed at the time of the financial crisis. He left, I think, in 2014. And during the time Bernanke was there, the Fed never raised interest rates, never took it off its low base. And the Fed's massively bloated balance sheet uh, never contracted. Then tentatively, the Fed started to raise rates. If you remember, in sort of 20, from from sort of 2016 to 2018, by these tiny little increments, uh, and and in 2018, stock market responded to the this minute raising of interest rates uh, by going into bear market territory, and the Fed sort of was immediately back to printing more money again. And then finally, we have the COVID lockdowns and the central banks go, not just the Fed, but around the world, go for broke. And once again, interest rates cut to zero and the Fed and central banks around the world print more money in the space of a few months than they printed in the... Eleven or twelve years since the global financial crisis, and uh, now this will be, (laughs) this is definitely going to be in all your listeners' recent memory because we then had, you know, the final blast of the everything bubble, U.S. stock market rising to its its highest valuation in history, with the exception of the last few months of the dot com bubble, and then a plethora of other. Markets go, turning red hot. U- U.S. housing. Um, you had within the stock markets. You had the 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 SPAC boom and special purpose a- acquisition companies. Uh, you know, uh, which was sort of which were f- flipped into um, high tech ventures. A great bubble in electric vehicle companies. If, if you remember, Tesla was briefly valued at more than all U.S energy companies in aggregate, uh you had crypto crypto craze, you know, and not just Bitcoins, but you had, you know, the you had the um you had a, 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 you had sort of spoof cryptos that were, were going up. You had you know Dogecoin and, and another coin that was a was a uh, a spoof of dogecoin called yes, shiboinu and so forth you know so, yeah, right. so you did, so basically you, you know up up until really the end of last year we had seen some of the frothiest markets ever and in my view the underpinning of these frothy markets was not just you know the psychology of investors or Investors playing, a, you know, a game of you know what we call greater fool. I'll, I'll buy this asset and sell it on to some sucker at a higher price, and I'll play this game for as long as it can. I think that investors were misled uh, into believing that interest rates would remain extremely low, mm-hmm. and that the low interest rates validated extraordinarily high. Valuations.
0: So Uh, at that point, you know, I think it's probably useful to sort of um, weave in, uh, you know, the reason why those rates couldn't stay low, um, inflation, and if you if you would maybe just, you know, we we, as you kind of as you alluded to the last couple decades, we've had plenty of money going into the system, right? Like lots of interventions, but we've never really had this problem. Uh, with inflation, first of all, when, not never, but in the last few 20 years or so, uh, first of all, wh- what what in your mind changed? Is it, is it sort of the coup de grace blow of the COVID, um, the lack of, I guess, the, the, the problems with supply, uh, and then actually increase in demand because of essentially helicopter money um, tell tell me what changed uh, because it, what was the the inflection point that turned an economy that was running on low interest rates and printing money for the last you know certainly in the last fifteen years uh, to to a significant inflationary problem.
1: Well, I mean the two points you made I think are, are valid, um, but there is a really a sort of a perfect storm of of factors. And I think even if one leaves aside what happened happened during the COVID period, um, that the dynamics of the low inflation were, uh, were already coming unstuck beforehand. And I think it's, this is the way I see it, is that the The globalization, the the, uh, increasing trade between countries, and in particular, the entry of China and other former communist countries into the global trading system served to depress the prices of traded goods. And in particular, as you know, the US, uh, US companies offshored a lot of their manufacturing uh, in the, at the beginning of this decade, uh, from um, you know from the US to um, China and other emerging markets, uh, and what we see is that the price of traded goods was declining during this period, and the federal and so what you could say is that. And I think this accurate way of saying it is that inflation was no longer primarily, or the drivers of inflation, were no longer primarily a domestic factors, but global factors. And I think you can see this in earlier periods of globalization because globalization comes in waves, like in the late 19th century, um, and then more recently. Uh, And um, as but. But that that shift in globalization, you know, the the rise of globalization, created a backlash. Lots of blue-collar workers lost their jobs, lost their, you know, uh, reasonably well-paying pensions supplying, healthcare-providing jobs, and uh, were disgruntled. And I I think that, uh, you know, explains uh, to a large extent uh, the Popularity of, of the rise of populism and the popularity and election of, of Donald Trump in, in, in 2016 then starts applying um, trade sanctions against China. So you already, the, the, you can already see that globalization is beginning to unravel. and as globalization begins to unravel. Uh, then that dynamic for lower inflation that it provides ceases to be there. Now, as you then mentioned, then we get the pandemic, and with the pandemic, you get the interruption of of trade and broken supply chains and so on and so forth. But I think they were already fragile and beginning to snap.
0: Um, Was there, I should ask. Significant disruption in trade patterns. I know we had uh, uh, prior to the pandemic during the Trump administration. You mentioned some of the you know regulations um, put in place against China, but uh, you, what you're saying is that you feel like that was uh, materially uh, important for what we're experiencing right now.
1: I think you know, what I mean, you really see. The global, the period of global financial crisis, was the sort of high point of globalization, and in the it really um, from that period onwards, global trade stops rising as a share of of, of economic activity, and countries around the world start um, imposing sort of you know a closet. Uh, Hidden uh, tariffs and, and making trade more restrictive. Um, I think there's, you know, go back to the inflation problem. It's interesting, you know, the central banks printed, as we say, you know, we we use the term printing money, but obviously central banks don't actually print money. They just uh, buy assets and credit someone, you know, who, who credits someone with some cash in, in their in the central bank's account. Now what's interesting about quantitative easing uh, as it the name given to the central banks asset purchases at the time of the global financial crisis is it didn't that money didn't really enter into circulation in the economy it created it just look let's just say you're a you're a you know you work for a bank or you work for a fund manager you own some treasury bonds or some mortgage securities the fed comes along and says i'll buy your your treasury bonds and and you say sure I'll sell them to you and the fed says okay look you've got this here's the money it's it's in your account at the fed well you know, that doesn't actually sort of you know push up the the price of ice cream does it it <laughs> what it does do is it pushes up the price of assets of securities on wall street so the last decade we saw very little consumer price inflation but as right. you know we saw massive asset price inflation and you know really the I think it's yeah I think it's fair enough to say that the last decade was the greatest period of asset price inflation in history and the reason I I, I can say that with some confidence is that the Federal Reserve a- actually uh, makes uh, prints uh, numbers for U.S. household wealth, and they have that data going back to um, the early 1950s. And what you see, if you look at the charts of the U.S. household wealth, is they sort of rise. You know, they rose. They rose. Um, you know, they, they sunk to a very to, to a low in the 1970s during the inflation, and then in the time when interest rates were. Kept very high under you know, Paul Volcker at the Federal Reserve in the early 1980s, but in in recent years they moved higher and higher and higher. And and at the end, right? I mean, it seems um, so long ago now. But just at the end of last year, U.S. household wealth was at an all time peak. It was um, I think roughly 250 percentage points of GDP above its long term average so you can that gives you a sense of how inflated things were but when the but with the covid lockdowns because the governments, as you know paid people <laughs> to stay at home right and, you know, and and watch netflix and get you know home deliveries and delivery or whatever yeah um that money that actually that money did actually find its way into the economy at the time as yes. you said Yes. When the yeah. supply uh, when the supply chains were interrupted, so that that was as I say that the perfect storm, right? And, it-
0: and just to just to add on to that, I mean, I think if you look back at the interventions uh, as you've outlined already, and and two thousand eight, and and some of the the other um, you know minor crises times, uh, uh, the Fed has basically reacted um, and created these uh, you know opportunities for. For uh, investors to basically uh, get their, uh, you know, to to have their investments uh, go up in value. The major difference in my, from what I see, the major difference in this intervention was it was truly what I guess Ben Bernanke called helicopter money, right? That we hadn't seen that before, had we? Like pure money in the hands of consumers. And to me that answers a lot of the question of why we never saw um, significant consumer, you know, CPI increases. Uh, And, and so I'm, I'm curious on that. Do, Do you think that that was, how big of an impact do you think that was to ultimately what we're seeing now? I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's trade, um, you know, there's there's problems with supply chains and, and everything else. But uh, I'm curious on, on helicopter money, was that the biggest
1: issue? Yeah, I mean, you could call it helicopter money. I mean, you, know, and you remember a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about this thing called modern monetary theory. Right, which, right. You know, where, where the idea, well, it was a sort of, it had a brief vogue, the idea that, you know, the, the governments didn't need to raise taxes, they could just spend money, they didn't even need to issue bonds. Um, so yeah, there's a sort of vogue for helicopter money. And and, and the, the the quantitative easing money, as I say, stayed sort of, if you will, locked in the Wall Street safe, whereas this money went into people's hands and boosted their spending. But don't forget, it also produced a, a huge amount of asset price inflation. And then what, the S&P up something like 28% last year. So, you know, that was one of the great years, yeah. Um, but another way of thinking about the inflation is just from a sort of monetarist perspective, uh, which is tends to be neglected nowadays, but the, which is the view that, you know, if you have a increase in the money supply, the broad money supply, um, bank accounts and so forth, money held in banks, uh, then that feeds through to an inflation. So if you had that, I think, you know, the, uh, U.S. money supply in in you know, 2021, 20, early twenty-two was growing at an annualized rate of of around 25%. Uh, and all, all, all the great inflation. I mean, inflation is an immensely complex subject. Uh, but all the great inflations of the past have, you know, a monetary origin. It's just the central bankers uh, and the economists sort of become. They, you know, monetarism fell out of favor. And as these guys tend not to read much financial history, uh, they tend, you know, they tended to uh, ignore, ignore the inflation problem. But the, I mean, as you probably aware, <laughs> the man on the street <laughs> sort of saw inflation coming. I mean, the rest of us, I don't think were were suckered. It was in a way, the closer you were to, um, to, to actually, uh, influencing events in the monetary policy world the more blind you were to to what was actually happening yeah interesting
0: so uh, let's let's kind of pivot a little bit and say okay well that's that's where we are um what is your perspective on um you know what happens with inflation over the next 6 months to a year obviously uh there are some challenges there we've got a you know a war in europe um, winter coming up, um, energy prices probably going up. Uh, where does this, where is this going? Does the supply chain loosening up help things out? Do the rates uh, increases throw us into, uh, you know, some kind of a recessionary thing where, you know, the inflation is going to have to necessarily, um, you know, uh, die off at that point? What I'm curious what your take is and the trajectory.
1: Um, well, I, I wish I could give you a clear answer. As sure. I say, inflation is is a complex phenomenon, and there are and when I talk about complexity and talking about a system with feedback loops, which uh, are uh, to a certain extent in the the future is to a certain extent indeterminate. Now, I was mentioning it to you. Uh, second ago about the monetarism. Well, the the monetarists now saying, you know, we had this um, wave of money supply growth and followed by a wave of inflation, but actually money supply growth in the US is um, coming down, has come down a lot and is now sort of average level. And they, so the monetarists, at least some of them, I'm saying the inflation problem is uh has really passed and, and the real problem now is that the central banks are risking over tightening um and you know the work you know the the argument I elaborate in the in my book uh, is is to is by drawing on the different functions and roles of, of interest. And in, we've talked a lot about how interest affects valuations, but it also affects how uh, money is capital is is invested. It also affects the flow of capital around the world. Uh, and the argument of my book, in a nutshell, is that. The low rates and the expectations of low rates became embedded in the financial system, and we all had it. I and mean, presumably, you had it. And most of your readers or listeners would have, you know, felt that these low interest rates were going to be around for a long time. So we make we take actions based on that, and one function of interest or definition of interest. Uh, Ken, you'll know. Um, from your real estate background is the price of leverage. So yeah, you you, uh, debt. We're, we're, we're happy about that part, it exactly. debt, you know, uh, and, and you know, so, so as you know, if you've taken on more debt, uh, you're going to be more sensitive to rising rates. Now, US households took on a lot of debt during the real estate bubble prior to the financial crisis. But in the last decade, the debt has really been largely accumulated uh, by corporations and, and by private equity firms doing leverage buyouts and so forth. And uh, the danger is that, with you know, with very small rates rises in interest, when uh, these companies and private equity come to refinance. Uh, they will be doing that, you know, that their, their, their deals won't look so good. So you'll have the danger of um, a bad debts coming through. And you know, bad debts in financial terms, if there are enough of them, actually destroy money. So then you move from inflation one day to deflation the next. But, but on the other hand, let's just say this, the Federal Reserve was, you know, understood this. Risk and 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 perhaps they do. If the Fed does nothing, then you're going to say, "Hmm, okay, Fed's going to sit on its hands. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to carry on borrowing. I, the cost of borrowing is way below inflation. Uh, inflation is going to pay off my debt." So you can see that the 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 the, the Fed and this is not just the Fed. It's true of central banks around the world. Like you're talking to me in in England, and the Bank of England is you know in a complete mess too. Um, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard pace. So all, all the way I see it, and this uh, it's not my own idea, but you know from from friends of my investment friends of mine who 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 also analysing problem is the question now is not so much inflation but of inflation volatility of it rising, falling, rising, falling, and that is. Um, you know, the thing we have to worry about going forward.
0: Interesting stuff. We live uh, in uh, interesting times, uh, Edward. Um, your uh, your book, The Price of Time, uh, The Real Story of Interest, I uh, assume this is available pretty much
1: everywhere? Yeah, I think so. You know, Amazon and all good booksellers.
0: That's right. And then uh, it, you also have a website at www.edward.com chancellor.com what kinds of things can we find there
1: well you can find um my you know my articles i write as you say i write a column for reuters breaking views the the financial commentary service of reuters um i've got sort of podcast interviews um i put up there uh and um i've got um yeah talks i've given uh, and, and you know, sort of lists of the other books I publish, that sort of that sort of stuff.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a, a, a real uh, pleasure to get your perspective on what's going on.
1: Great, the pleasure to be with you.
0: Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. I think this stuff's pretty fascinating. I know it gets a little wonky, but hopefully you enjoyed it. And, and you know, even just this, you know, big. Co- major concept of inflation. Yeah, that's where it was. Inflation was in assets before and now it's on Main Street. And when it was in assets, it's good. When it was in Main Street, it's bad. That's basically, in in my mind, what's been going on in the last 15 years. Kind of interesting to think about. Anyway, I hope to see you in Dallas-Fort Worth in the next couple of weeks. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.